Brian told me I was missing my mark, so I missed it again. Sorry, Brian, I'm not coming up quickly enough here. And I want to tell you about a college professor who, he was a physics professor. Let me start over again. He stepped up here, and then it was like perfect, and I had this thought. All right, so this college professor who had a great sense of humor, he's a physics professor, but, um, but really was a funny guy. He took a bowling ball and put it in sort of a you know, really sturdy uh, bag that you could see as a bowling ball, right? Because that's part of the whole gag. And he hung it from the ceiling of his lab and put a chair right up against the wall. And, and so the, it would swing like a, it could swing like a pendulum, right? And, uh, and swing out and swing back. And, you know, there's a, there's a physics, uh, law of physics that, you know, a pendulum can't swing uh, any, any farther than its originating point, right? And so uh, the class was there, it was all set up, and he said, you know, who, who believes in, uh, in this, this law? You know, you can't see the law, um, but you can believe it, and it's easy to believe it from out there. He said, so who believes it? And then everybody raised their hand, oh yeah, we believe that it's not going to swing, you know, it's going to start here, it's not going to swing any farther past, you know, its originating point. And, uh, and he says, well, who will come up and sit in the chair? And uh, so some, someone raises his hand. He says, oh, yeah, I believe this. It's fine. And so he sits in the chair, and he takes the bowling ball. The physics professor takes the bowling ball, brings it right up to his nose, right? And he lets it go. And, you know, everything was going fine while the bowling ball was swinging away. And then that bowling ball, you know, it's kind of like orange, sort of like that swirly orange kind of color, you know. And you can sort of see, yeah, it's, it's a real bowling ball, right? And, and here's the guy who's the pin, right? He's the pin sitting in the chair. And that bowling ball hits, you know, its outer force and it starts swinging back. And about halfway back, <laughs> he jumps out of the chair. <laughs> He's out of there, right? Jumps out of the chair. The chair goes one way. He goes the other way. And uh, everybody's just laughing, and the physics professor waits for everything to calm down, gets really quiet, and he says, he says, all right, does he believe in that law of physics? And the class said, no, <laughs> he does not really believe it. This is going to sound a little bit like Forrest Gump, but um, faith is what faith does. That does sound like Forrest Gump, doesn't it? Faith is what faith does. But here's the point. When you truly believe something, when you truly believe it, you are able to be responsive to it. When you truly trust something. You see, we're talking about wisdom, and the, uh, wisdom is the ability to live close to the truth. When you have the truth only as trust, as a matter of trust, you're able to be responsive to it. From the Word of God, James chapter 2, starting with verse 14 and then running through verse 26. Would you open your Bibles and read along and uh, pay attention now as we read God's Word this morning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works can 
faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see what we don't want to see so that we may become what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so we're talking about what I, what I want to show you this morning. What, what the scriptures are saying here is that, that faith, true faith, true belief, when you really believe the bowling ball is not going to swing any closer than it started, right? True faith is responsive at the will, not just mental assent, not just sitting out in the class saying, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that principle, I can't see it, but I'll put my nose on the line. When you truly believe something, you are able to stay in the chair. When you truly believe something, your will, not just your mental assent, not just, hey, that's a great idea, or yeah, there's a God out there somewhere, or yeah, I should trust him, and all that kind of stuff, but your will is responsive to God's will. You know, I mean, crazy stuff that God asks us, crazy in quotes, you know, things that don't make sense, things that seem irrational at first. We're able to do those things by faith. <laughs> Forgiving somebody. You know, you're called to forgive somebody, and then you see that bowling ball of injustice start to swing back the other way, and you just feel like, there's no way I'm going to let this person off the hook. You know, this person, this person needs justice, not forgiveness. And yet God calls us to forgive, and, and he tells us that there's freedom in it. And when we truly believe, we are able to do things like that, crazy things like finding freedom from past injustice through forgiveness. You know, when, when the crowd is going a certain direction and, and you feel like you, you should not do that, that that's not going to be good for you, that that's not going to bring... Uh, health and well-being, that that's not going to bring glory to God, it's not going to honor God, and yet you're afraid because you don't want to look like a goob, right? Because everybody else is doing that thing. And you don't want to seem like some pietistic, you know, holier-than-thou, you know, kind of person, and I don't know what that is, that's just sort of like a, the 
the sound I get when somebody sort of appears holier than thou, just sort of this aura around them, like, hey, I'm not doing that. You don't want to be that person who sort of looks like a fool. And yet by faith, you can stand in a place where you can take the risk. You know, when, when, uh, when you have a decision to make, and you don't know what, which one is the right one, and, you know, you, you're worried. You start to be afraid that you're going to make the wrong one. And then you realize, hey, you know, God isn't up there just waiting for us to make a mistake. When you trust in his acceptance, in other words, then you're able. You're able. Let me read this quotation from, from um, Kierkegaard. It says this, Christianity did not come in order to develop the heroic virtue. It did not come to develop the heroic virtue in an individual, but rather to remove self-centeredness and establish love. Now, let me make an important connection, and then we're going to go through this the rest of the sermon. I need to make a vital connection here. So the idea here is that that the purpose of true belief, true faith, is to remove self-centeredness and establish love, right? So how does faith do that? You see, when you, when you recognize, when you, when you identify that your, your deepest need, your deepest need, now don't, don't just pass by that, you have a deep need. You and I have a deep need. It is our deepened, deepest need. And it, and it touches on the very brokenness of human nature. You and I have a deep need. And when you realize that by faith, that trusting that God has accepted you unconditionally, and when you, when you realize that by faith, that deep need is met, self-centeredness is removed and love is established. You now have a new operating system. You have a new center. You have a new core. You have a new desire. Your deepest desire is now simply to be responsive to God. You see, this is the gospel. This is, this is the scandalous gospel of grace that says, by unmerited favor, God accepts you. When you believe that, when you really believe that, you are enabled. The bowling ball is swinging back. Here it comes. In all its orange, swirly glory, and it's, you're feeling like the pin, and you are able to stand, able to trust, able to trust, not worried, not concerned. Now, maybe you feel something. Maybe you feel a little alarmed, but yet. Maybe you're afraid, but yet. You are able to stand. So let's take a look at, at, at how this passage walks us through. How we are able to be responsive to God's will. Because when, when we have that new operating system, when we have something new at the core, when we trust that God has accepted us at our core, we are able to be responsive to his will. Because now we have the will to sacrifice, the will to risk, and the will to obey. Let's look at that. The will to sacrifice, to risk, and to obey. 
All right? So let's take a, let, let's take a quick look. So, so the will to sacrifice and not just simply make excuses, right? I mean, <laughs> we want to now. We want to make sacrifices for the sake of somebody else. We want to see our will begins to engage. We want to will the good for someone else because we have a different operating system. We have a different desire. We are responsive to God's will. We are stepping into a place where someone has a need and we get to do this, not we have to do this or I feel guilty or obligated or somehow I'm going to earn God's favor from doing this. No, there's a new responsiveness to God's will. Here is someone in need. Let me put it sort of a little bit more personally. Uh, right, right here it says, um, verse 16, it talks about this ridiculous thing. One of you says, hey, go in peace and be warmed and fed. When, when someone says, hey, I, I need some bread, I, I need something, right? What if you see somebody who's poorly dressed, poorly clothed, lacking in daily food? And one of you says, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled. <laughs> um, now you say, well, who would do that? Well, maybe somebody... Uh, who is at a restaurant who thinks they had bad service and they don't give a tip and they don't really recognize, hey, there's a person who's here who's still been working who's maybe having a bad day, right? Have I received, really received the unmerited favor of God? You know? I've... I've heard this. I know this. This is these are not FPC people. All right, these are not First Presbyterian Church people. I know this is not that none of us would do this. But I've heard that I've, I've just heard this that people who serve at tables um, out in our community dread the twelve o'clock hour after church. Now that is a sad witness. And so y'all, y'all are going to be big tippers today. If you're going to go out today after, uh, after church, <laughs> you're going to be a big tipper. Now, now this, I'm not making this up. Now, there, there's this story about, and this was going around, and, and this happened a number of times, that, that there was this tract. You know what a tract is? It's sort of this thing that you leave, a very impersonal sort of way of sharing the gospel. And instead of actually taking a risk and building a relationship with somebody and saying, hey, here's how the, the gospel the unconditional acceptance of God has affected me. Instead of taking that risk, sometimes people would just sort of leave a little note and say, hey, here, uh, here's, a, here's a, uh, a, a piece of good news for you. And then they sort of run away. I, I, obviously, I don't think much about that technique, especially when it looks like a $20 bill. I kid you not. I kid you not that there was uh, this thing going around, um, this trend where people were, leaving this little track that looked like a $20 bill. And so when uh, a, a server came back to the table, they think that, that you left a 20 for them, and they pick it up, and they go, wow, a $20 bill tip for you know, a $10 meal. And they open it up, and it says, don't be fooled. I've seen this. I've seen it. It, it, was, uh, it was confronted by a, a, a bunch of different Christian leaders um, a number of years ago that this was going on. Don't be fooled. Now, why would somebody do this? Look back at the, at the scriptures, and it says, how can, you, how can you say go and be warmed and filled? Now, how ridiculous is that? Who would think that? Well, we think that kind of thing all the time. We have this disconnect, and it's called Gnosticism. It's the idea that everything that's material is, is unholy, and if, there, if you're going to have sort of spirituality in your life, it's going to be non-material. It's not going to have anything to do with what you wear, what you think, or 
or it's not going to have anything, not with, with what you think. It's all about sort of non-material stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of times what we do is we spiritualize things that we don't want to do. We spiritualize the things that we want to do instead so that we can just continue to order life around ourselves. Isn't that what we do? And that's, you know, you think there's a fancy word called Gnosticism. What's all that about? Well, it's basically just sort of this false spirituality that says everything spiritual is sort of out there. It's sort of ethereal. It's sort of wispy out there in the wind. And all this stuff down here that we're dealing with, you know, this the nuts and bolts of daily life, that's not spiritual. And so we tell ourselves this lie so that we can do the things that we want to do. Like not doing the basic, showing basic kindness. That if you're going to pray before your meal and your server sees you praying, you know, if you're doing that to be seen because you're a holy person, I mean, I'm not against people praying in public. I do think you ought to be discreet about it, not not showy about it. Why, Why do I think that? Because Jesus says that. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, don't do this to be shown, showing off that you're holier than everybody. If you're going to pray in public and people are going to see that you're a Christian and you're going to go out after church, then <laughs> please be a good tipper. Don't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to pray for you. See, faith is as faith does. It's, it's, it's where the rubber hits the road. It's, it's where the bowling ball is swinging back to the nose. Do you believe it or do you not? Can you give up a little bit of your livelihood for somebody who's working in a job that you probably would not necessarily want to be working in? Like, you know, an early morning, waiting at tables. That's a tough job. Boy, tip big, especially those breakfast servers. Tip big. Otherwise, you're just being a Gnostic if you're just saying, hey, I'm just going to pray for this person. I'm not going to take the risk or trust that God provides. I'm not going to show that God provides. I'm, I'm just going to tell other people that God provides. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is, what, this is what James is saying. He's not saying that works is added to faith. He's saying that, that works is a result of faith. Good works is a result. It just comes out because of trust. Because of trust. You see, I mean, I'm being really blunt this morning because that's what the scripture is doing. It's being blunt. I mean, I'm feeling a little self-conscious for being so blunt, but I mean, look at it. It says, I mean, he's mocking. He's mocking people who would say, oh, you, you're, you're poor and you're, you're lacking daily food. Go and be warmed and fed in Christ. God bless you. I mean, he is mocking that idea, the disconnect, as though spirituality weren't at every layer of your life. It is every layer of your life has some kind of spiritual implication. But when, see, here's the power. When you really do believe, you are able to give things up joyfully. Why does God love a cheerful giver? You know, Tyler quoted that earlier in his prayer. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Here's the reason. Because a cheerful giver is love. Trust. A new operating system is at work at the core of their life. And so they are responsive to God's will. The 
responsive. They have a will to sacrifice. Second, they have a will to risk. Reputation for power. Now, what do you mean reputation for power? I can't even wrap my mind around that. Well, think about it this way. There's, there's reputation, what people see, and there's character, what you really are, right? And you and I don't have the power to change our character. We don't have the power to do that. You can't just sort of gin up the will to try to be a better person. You can't do that. All we can do is just sort of trust that, that God is at work. And, and sometimes it's not convenient to do the things like I was saying earlier, you know, you might look like a pietistic fool, right, for doing something that the rest of the crowd isn't doing or for believing something or going a certain way or sort of holding the line on something that we know is, is not good for human beings. And, and, and you're going to stand firm. And, and you're going to try to stand firm in a way that represents Christ well in a winsome way. But then you start to worry that you're going to lose face or you're going to lose a, your reputation or people are going to think you're a fool. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What's he talking about? A couple different kinds of fools. In the Proverbs, you know, and James is quoting Proverbs all the time. So when he's talking about the fool, there are a couple different kinds of fool. I mean, there's several different kinds of fool, but they basically come down to two different kinds of fools. There's the simple fool and then there's the silly fool. Two S's, simple and silly. And, and we don't want to look like a silly, simple fool, right? We don't want to look simp- like simpletons, right? Who wants to look like a simpleton? You know, like, just, you're just a dude, bozo, just, you know, just not much going on upstairs, you know, just sort of, you just, you just believe that, or just sort of, nobody wants to look like that. We don't want to have a reputation that makes us look foolish. Nobody wants to look foolish. <laughs> but, but then James sort of plays this game. He says, you know, you're afraid of, looking too simplistic, but then what you do is you become a hypocrite. You sort of believe something, but then you do something else so you can look good to the crowd. But really, you believe something else. That's the silly fool. That's the silly fool. What he's saying is, look, you're being silly. You know it, and it will probably come out. So Paul talks about the gospel, he says, the gospel is foolishness to the Greek, right? Foolishness to the Greek. Because they think it's just, you're just being too simple. You're trusting in God, right? And what does Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the what? Can you think of what it is? What, can you complete that sentence? Because it is the power of God. The power of God. That's where the power lies. In trust. You think, where, where's the power in, in trust? Well, You know that anyone who is overcoming an addiction, even if they don't believe in God, there's a principle at work. There's a principle of trust that says, look, there's something too big. You can't change your character. You can't overcome your addiction. So you need to trust in some kind of higher power. I was working with... wiring of the universe that we are not our own that to trust in something that is bigger than us is part of what a human being needs to do 
Isn't it a graceful God? I mean, it is common grace to let people just trust in a higher power, a generic higher power. God is so gracious. It's like even if you're just sort of trusting in this higher power, there's power in it. You know, you see, somebody who is overcoming something that has power over them, to trust in a power greater than millions of people have overcome addiction because of that principle. You see, it's in our very wiring. How much more is the Christian to whom God has revealed himself powerfully in the gospel even at the risk of your reputation of looking like a simple fool, don't be a silly fool where you're saying, well, I'm just sort of wear something with this crowd and I'm going to be something else with this crowd as though somehow that were a life-changing thing. Trust. You see, when you really trust, you have the will, the will to risk Reputation for power. You with me? You see? See, James goes on, he gives an example of how Abraham, right? Abraham didn't just say, yes, God, I trust that I trust you and I'm going to be responsive to your will. He didn't just say it. He didn't just believe it. He didn't just pray about it. didn't just ruminate on it. He didn't just journal about it. And all those things are good. But he actually took his son, right? said this a few weeks ago. He took his son, and then the act, the very swing of his knife towards his son, his only son, Isaac, right? How ironic, too. You know, Isaac is an onomatopoeia. It's a, it's a, an onomatopoeia is like a, the word sounds like the thing, and Isaac is supposed to sound like laughter, right? Itzak, right? So in in Hebrew, it's pronounced, it kind of sounds like you're laughing. And how ironic and how sad must he have been in the middle of that. He is swinging to kill his only son out of obedience to God, his son named Laughter. And yet, there's something else in the core of him that just would simply, even though he didn't understand what it was, would sacrifice. Sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice. Reputation, reputation to gain power, see, to gain power. And finally, when you believe, when you really believe, you know, you can sit there and the bowling ball is swinging back at you, and you're like, you know, you know it cannot swing any farther than its original point. When you really believe that you are accepted unconditionally, that God has looked into your deepest need, and he's met you there, he's been there ahead of time, he's sitting on the log, he's swinging his legs, and he's saying, I've been waiting for you in this deepest point of your need. I've been here ahead of you. Been waiting for you. When you believe that and have that experience, that at the core of your being, although you are unworthy, you are not worthless, when you believe that, you have the ability to be responsive to God's will, to obey him, to obey. Again, verse 22. Now, I, I've got I've to explain this a little bit more here. So 
you see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his work. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. The person was justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, we know that, that, that this, is, this is a problem. I mean, Martin Luther didn't like the book of James because of that sentence that I just read. He wanted to toss it out of the canon, right? But see, here's, here is the thing. Here's what James is saying. James, brother of Jesus, he's saying faith is not added to works to justify. Faith is not added to works to justify. In other words, it's not like, okay, I believe God and now I'm going to add works and now faith plus works equals justification. Faith plus works equals salvation. Faith plus works equals my sense of assurance. Faith plus, no, it's not faith plus works. He's saying that works comes out naturally when faith is realized. It's not faith in addition added to works. It's faith Showing works. It's works revealing true faith. Now, I, I showed this clip to our officers a couple of weeks ago that I thought was hilarious. And it's, it's funnier if you see it, but I'm, I'm just going to tell it to you and we'll see how it goes. But so, uh, so he was talking about um, the idea of uh, telling his daughter to go clean her room. And uh, he said, you know, what if I told my daughter to clean her room? And, um, and she went away. And she came back later, a couple hours later, and she said, and, and I asked her about uh, cleaning her room, and, and she said, um, she looks at me and she said, um, I memorized what she said. Yeah, go clean your room. I remember, I remember, I memorized what she said. And then he went on and he said, well, what if my daughter just sort of had a bunch of friends over, and they began to have a little small group about what it might look like to cl- actually clean her room right like let's discuss like what would it be like if i if i actually did clean my room you know and and let's 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 develop a set of of sort of probing dig deep questions about what it would look like if i actually did the thing that my dad asked me to do you see james is having fun with us this morning he's messing with us because he wants us to take seriously, not ourselves, but the God who gives us a whole new identity, a whole new operating system, a core that can be responsive to his voice. A guy named Cowper, who was a good friend of John Newton, said this. What shall I do then the word? was the word, that I may more worthy grow. What shall I render to the Lord is my inquiry now. And he says this, to see the law in Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice. To see the law in Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice turns a slave into a child and Jesus Holy God, how we thank you. That Jesus was 
entirely responsive to your will. And as a result, Lord, his righteousness, his righteousness is counted ours. And so, Father, this morning, as we close this time, seal this time with singing, would you find us in the places where we are resistant to your will? Help us to live out of that new core, true belief, acceptance, in Jesus' name.